Chapter Eighty of Varney the Vampire, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume Two, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter Eighty: The discovery of the body of Marchdale in the ruins by the mob, the burning of the corpse, the murder of the hangman. The mob reached the ruins of Bannerworth Hall and crowded round it on all sides, with the view of ascertaining if a human creature, dead or alive, were there. Various surmises were afloat, and some were for considering that everybody but themselves or their friends must be nothing less than vampires. Indeed, a strange man suddenly appearing among them would have caused a sensation, and a ring would no doubt have been formed round him, and then a hasty council held. Or what was more probable, some shout or word uttered by some one behind, who could not understand what was going on in front, would have determined them to commit some desperate outrage, and the sacrifice of life would have been the inevitable result of such an unfortunate concurrence of circumstances. There was a pause before any one ventured among the ruins. The walls were carefully looked to, and in more than one instance. But they were found dangerous. What were remaining? Some parts had been so completely destroyed that there was nothing but heaps of rubbish. However, curiosity was exerted to such an extraordinary pitch that it overcame the fear of danger in search of the horrible, for they believed that if there were any one in the ruins, he must be a vampire, of course, and they were somewhat cautious in going near such a creature, lest in so doing they should meet with some accident and become vampires too. This was a dreadful reflection, and one that every now and then impressed itself upon the individuals composing the mob. But at the same time, any new impulse or a shout, and they immediately became insensible to all fear. And mere impulse is the dominant one, and then all is forgotten. The scene was an impressive one. The beautiful house and grounds looked desolate and drear. Many of the trees were stripped and broken down, and many scorched and burned, while the gardens and flower beds. The delight of the Bannerworth family were rudely trodden under foot by the rabble, and all those little beauties so much admired and tended by the inhabitants were now utterly destroyed, and in such a state that their sight could not even be detected by their former owners. It was a sad sight to see such a sacrilege committed, such violence done to private feelings as to have all these places thrown open to the scrutiny of the brutal and vulgar. Who are incapable of appreciating or understanding the pleasures of a refined taste? The ruins presented a remarkable contrast to what the place had been but a very short time before, and now the scene of desolation was complete. There was no one spot in which the most wretched could find shelter. To be sure, under the lee of some broken and crumbling wall that tottered rather than stood, a huddled wretch might have found shelter from the wind, but it would have been at the risk of his life and not there complete. The mob became quiet for some moments, but was not so long. Indeed, a mob of people, which is in fact always composed of the most disorderly characters to be found in a place, is not exactly the assembly that is most calculated for quietness. Somebody gave a shout, and then somebody else shouted, and the one wide throat of the whole concourse was opened and sent forth a mighty yell. After this exhibition of power, they began to run about like mad, traverse the ground from one end to the other. And then the ruins were in progress of being explored. This was a tender affair, and had to be done with some care and caution by those who were so engaged. And they walked over crumbling and decayed masses. 
In one or two places they saw what appeared to be large holes, into which the building materials had been sunk by their own weight through the flooring, that seemed as roofs to some cellars or dungeons. Seeing this, they knew not how soon some other part might sink in, and carry their precious bodies down with the mass of rubbish. This gave an interest to the scene. A little danger is a sort of salt to an adventure, and enables those who have taken part in it to talk of their exploits, and of their dangers, which is pleasant to do, and to hear in the alehouse, and by the inglenook in the winter. However, when a few had gone some distance, others followed, when they saw them enter the place in safety, and at length the whole ruins were covered with living men, and not a few women, who seemed necessary to make up the elements of mischief in this case. There were some shouting and hallooing from one to the other as they hurried about the ruins. At length they had explored the ruins nearly all over, when one man, who had stood a few minutes upon a spot, gazing intently upon something, suddenly exclaimed, "'Halloa! Hurrah! Here we are, all together! Come on! I've found him! I've found! Recollect it's me, and nobody else has found! Hurrah!' Then, with a wild kind of frenzy, he threw his hat up into the air, as if to attract attention, and call others round him, to see what it was he had found. "'What's the matter, Bill?' exclaimed one who came up to him, who had been close at hand. "'The matter? Why, I've found him! That's the matter, old man,' replied the first. "'What, a whale?' "'No, a vampire! The blessed vampire! There he is! Don't you see him under them air bricks?' "'Oh, that's not him. He's got away.' "'I don't care,' replied the other. "'Who got away or who didn't? I know this much, that he's a vampire. He wouldn't be there if he weren't.' This was an unanswerable argument, and nobody could deny it. Consequently, there was a cessation of talk, and the people then came up, as the two first were looking at the body. "'Whose is it?' inquired a dozen voices. "'Not Sir Francis Varney's,' said the second speaker. "'The clothes are not his.' "'No, no, not Sir Francis's.' "'But I tell you what, mates,' said the first speaker, "'that if it isn't Sir Francis Varney's, it is somebody else's as bad. I dare say, now he's a victim.' "'A what?' a victim to the vampire, and if he sees the blessed moonlight he will be a vampire himself, and so shall we be too if he puts his teeth into us. So we shall, so we shall, said the mob, and their flesh began to run cold, and there was a feeling of horror creeping over the whole body of persons within hearing. I tell you what it is, our only plan will be to get him out of the ruins then, remarked another. What? said one. Who's going to handle such cattle? If you've a sore about you, and his blood touches you, who's to say you won't become a vampire too? No, no, you won't, said an old woman. I won't try, was the happy rejoinder. I ain't a-going to carry a vampire on my two legs home to my wife and small family of seven children, and another a-comin'. There was a pause for a few moments, and then one man, more adventurous than the rest, exclaimed, Well, vampire or no vampire, his dead body can harm no one, so here goes to get it out. Help me who will. Once have it out, and then we can prevent any evil by burning it and thus destroying the whole body. Hurrah! shouted three or four more, as they jumped down into the hole formed by the falling in of the materials which had crushed Marchdale to death, for it was his body they had discovered. They immediately set to work to displace such of the materials as lay on the body, and then, having cleared it of all superincumbent rubbish, they proceeded to lift it up but found that it had gotten tangled, as they called it, with some chains. With some trouble they got them off, and the body was lifted out to a higher spot. "'Now what's to be done?' inquired one. "'Burn it,' said another. "'Hurrah!' shouted a female voice. "'We've got the vampire. 
run a stake through his body, and then place him upon some dry wood. There's plenty to be had about here, I am sure. And then burn him to a cinder. That's right, old woman, that's right, said a man. Nothing better. The devil must be in him if he come to life after that, I should say. There might be something in that, and the mob shouted its approbation, as it was sure to do at anything stupid or senseless, and the proposal might be said to have been carried by acclamation, and it required only the execution. This was soon done. There were plenty of lathes and rafters, and the adjoining wood furnished an abundant supply of dry sticks, so there was no want of fuel. There was a loud shout as each session of sticks took place, and as each individual threw his bundle into the heap. Each man felt all the self-devotion to the task as the Scottish chieftain, who sacrificed himself and seven sons in the battle for his superior, and when one son was cut down, the man filled up his place with the exclamation, "'Another for Hector!' until he himself fell as the last of his race. Soon now the heap became prodigious, and it required an effort to get the mangled corpse upon his funeral bier. But it was then a shout from the mob that rent the air announced both the fact and their satisfaction. The next thing to be done was to light the pile. This was no easy task, but like all others it was accomplished, and the dead body of the vampire's victim was thrown on to prevent that from becoming a vampire too, in its turn. "'There, boys,' said one, "'he'll not see the moonlight, that's certain, "'and the sooner we put a light to this the better, "'for it may be the soldiers will be down upon us "'before we know anything of it. "'So now, who's got a light?' "'This was a question that required a deal of searching, "'but at length one was found, "'by one of the mob coming forward, "'and after drawing his pipe vigorously for some moments, "'he collected some scraps of paper, "'upon which he emptied the contents of the pipe, "'with the hope that they would take fire.' In this, however, he was doomed to disappointment, for it produced nothing but a deal of smoke, and the paper burned without producing any flame. This act of disinterestedness, however, was not without its due consequences, for there were several who had pipes, and first with the hope of emulating the first projector of the scheme for raising the flame, they joined together, and putting the contents of their pipes together on some paper, straw, and chips, they produced after some little trouble a flame. Then there was a shout, and the burning mass was then placed in a favourable position near the pile of materials collected for burning, and then, in a few moments, it began to take light. One piece communicated the fire to another, until the whole was in a blaze. When the first flame fairly reached the top, a loud and tremendous shout arose from the mob, and the very welkin re-echoed with its fullness. Then the forked flames rushed through the wood, and hissed and crackled as they flew, throwing up huge masses of black smoke, and casting a peculiar reflection around. Not a sound was heard save the hissing and roaring of the flames, which seemed like the approaching of a furious whirlwind. At length there was nothing to be seen but the blackened mass. It was enveloped in one huge flame that threw out a great heat, so much so that those nearest to it felt induced to retire from before it. "'I reckon,' said one, "'that he's pretty well done by this time. He's had a warm berth of it up there.' "'Yes,' said another. "'Farmer Watkins' sheep he roasted whole at last harvest. "'Home hadn't such a fire as this, I'll warrant. "'There's no such fire in the county. "'Why, it would prevent a frost, I do believe it would.' "'So it would, neighbor,' answered another. "'Yes,' replied a third. "'But you'd want such a one corner of each field, though.' "'There was much talk and joking going on among the men who stood around, "'in the midst of which, however, they were disturbed by a loud shout, "'and upon looking in the quarter whence it came,' they saw stealing from among the ruins the form of a man. He was a strange, odd-looking man, and at the time it was very doubtful among the mob as to who it was. Nobody could tell, 
and more than one looked at the burning pile, and then at the man who seemed to be so mysteriously present, as if they almost imagined that the body had got away. "'Who is it?' exclaimed one. "'Danged if I knows,' said another, looking very hard, and very white at the same time. "'I hope it ain't the chap what we've burned here just now.' "'No,' said the female, "'that you may be sure of, for he's had a stake through his body, and as you said, he can never get over that, for as the stake is consumed, so are his vitals, and that's a sure sign he's done for.' "'Yes, yes, she's right. A vampire may live upon blood, but cannot do without his inside.' This was so obvious to them all, that it was at once conceded, and a general impression pervaded the mob, that it might be Sir Francis Varney. A shout ensued. "'Hurrah! After him! There's a vampire! There he goes! After him! Catch him! Burn him!' And a variety of other exclamations were uttered, at the same time. The victim of popular wrath seemed to be aware that he was now discovered, and made off with all possible expedition, towards some wood. Away went the mob in pursuit, hooting and hallooing like demons, and denouncing the unfortunate being with all the terrors that could be imagined, and which naturally added greater speed to the unfortunate man. However, some among the mob, seeing that there was every probability of the strangers escaping at a mere match of speed, brought a little cunning to bear upon the matter, and took a circuit round, and thus intercepted him. This was not accomplished without a desperate effort, and by the best runners, who thus reached the spot he made for, before he could get there. When the stranger saw himself thus intercepted, he endeavoured to fly in a different direction, but was soon secured by the mob, who made somewhat free with his person, and commenced knocking him about. "'Have mercy on me,' said the stranger. "'What do you want? I am not rich, but take all I have.' "'What do you do here?' inquired twenty voices. "'Come, tell us that. What do you do here, and who are you?' "'A stranger, quite a stranger to these parts.' "'Oh, yes, he's a stranger, but that's all the worse for him. He's a vampire, there's no doubt about that.' "'Good God!' said the man. "'I am a living and breathing man like yourselves. I have done no wrong, and injured no man. Be merciful unto me. I intend no harm.' "'Of course not. Send him to the fire. Take him back to the ruins. To the fire!' "'Aye, and run a stake through his body, and then he's safe for life. "'I am sure he has something to do with the vampire, "'and who knows, if he ain't a vampire, how soon he may become one. "'Ah, that's very true. Bring him back to the fire, "'and we'll try the effects of the fire upon his constitution. "'I tell you what, neighbour, it's my opinion, "'that as one fool makes many, so one vampire makes many. "'So it does. There's much truth and reason in that, neighbour. "'I am decidedly of that opinion, too.' "'Come along, then,' cried the mob, cuffing and pulling the unfortunate stranger with them. "'Mercy! Mercy!' But it was useless to call for mercy to men whose superstitious feelings urged them on. For when the demon of superstition is active, no matter what form it may take, it always results in cruelty and wickedness to all. Various were the shouts and menaces of the mob, and the stranger, who was certainly a somewhat odd and remarkable-looking man, and who appeared in their eyes the very impersonation of their notions of a vampire, was thrust from one to the other, kicked by one, and then cuffed by the other, as if he was doomed to run the gauntlet. "'Down with the vampire!' said the mob. "'I am no vampire,' said the stranger. "'I am new to these parts, and I pray you have mercy upon me. I have done you no wrong. Hear me, I know nothing of these people of whom you speak. That won't do.' "'You've come here to see what you can do, I dare say, "'and though you may have been hurt by the vampire, "'and may be only your misfortune and not your fault, "'yet the mischief is as great as ever it was, or can be. "'You became, in spite of yourself, a vampire, "'and do the same injury to others that has been done to you. "'There's no help for you.' 
"'No help! We can't help it!' shouted the mob. "'He must die! Throw him on the pile!' "'Put a stake through him first, though!' exclaimed the humane female. "'Put a stake through him, and then he's safe!' This horrible advice had an electric effect on the stranger, who jumped up and eluded the grasp of several hands that were stretched forth to seize him. "'Throw him upon the burning wood!' shouted one. "'And a stake through his body!' suggested the humane female again, who seemed to have this one idea in her heart, and no other, and upon every available opportunity she seemed to be anxious to give utterance to the comfortable notion. "'Seize him!' exclaimed one. "'Never let him go!' said another. "'We've gone too far to hang back now, and if he escape he will visit us in our sleep, were it only out of spite.' The stranger made a dash among the ruins, and for a moment outstripped his pursuers. But a few, more adventurous than the rest, succeeded in driving him into an angle formed by two walls, and the consequence was, he was compelled to come to a stand. "'Seize him! Seize him!' exclaimed all those at a distance. The stranger, seeing he was now nearly surrounded, and had no chance of escape, save by some great effort, seized a long piece of wood, and struck two of his assailants down at once and then dashed through the opening. He immediately made for another part of the ruins, and succeeded in making his escape for some short distance, but was unable to keep up the speed that was required, for his great exertion before had nearly exhausted him, and the fear of a cruel death before his eyes was not enough to give him strength, or lend speed to his flight. He had suffered too much from violence, and though he ran with great speed, yet those who followed were uninjured, and fresher. He had no chance." They came very close upon him at the corner of a field, which he endeavoured to cross, and had succeeded in doing, and he made a desperate attempt to scramble up the bank that divided the field from the next, but he slipped back, almost exhausted, into the ditch, and the whole mob came up. However, he got on the bank and leaped into the next field, and then he was immediately surrounded by those who pursued him, and he was struck down. "'Down with the vampire! Kill him! He's one of em. Run a stake through him!' were a few of the cries of the infuriated mob of people, who were only infuriated because he attempted to escape their murderous intentions. It was strange to see how they collected in a ring as the unfortunate man lay on the ground, panting for breath, and hardly able to speak, their infuriated countenances plainly showing the mischief they were intent upon. "'Have mercy upon me!' he exclaimed, as he lay on the earth. "'I have no power to help myself.' The mob returned no answer but stood collecting their numbers as they came up. "'Have mercy on me! It cannot be any pleasure to you to spill my blood. I am unable to resist. I am only one man among many. You surely cannot wish to beat me to death.' "'We want to hurt no one, except in our own defence, and we won't be made vampires because you don't like to die.' "'No, no, we won't be vampires!' exclaimed the mob, and there arose a great shout from the mob. "'Are you men? Fathers? Have you families?' If so, I have the same ties as you have. Spare me for their sakes. Do not murder me. You will leave one an orphan if you do. Besides, what have I done? I have injured no one. I tell you what, friends, if we listen to him, we shall all be vampires, and all our children will all be vampires and orphans. So we shall, so we shall, down with him. The man attempted to get up, but in doing so he received a heavy blow from a hedge-stake, wielded by the Herculean arm of a peasant. The sound of the blow was heard by those immediately around, and the man fell dead. There was a pause, and those nearest, apparently fearful of the consequences, and hardly expecting the catastrophe, began to disperse, and the remainder did so very soon afterwards. 
End of chapter 80. Recorded by Megan Manley, February 2009, at Village Farm and in Punta Gorda, Belize.